Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode today of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. And uh, sometimes on here, I get to interview people I know, and other times it's people I'm meeting for the first time. And today I'm getting a pleasure to do a little chat with Jason Romano, and I could go on and on and on about him and things he's done, talk ESPN for almost two decades, talk books. We'll definitely talk about the one book, The Uniform of Leadership, but he is doing so many things. I almost feel like, Jason, you're a guy who's retired, who just gets to do a lot of fun stuff now post-retirement. Clearly, you're not retired. Clearly, it's not all fun. But is this point in 2022 as great as I'm going to think that you're going to say it is? Yeah, it's a really good season of life, season of transition with a daughter who's going to college in the fall, but a really good time in life. I definitely don't feel retired because I still work a lot and I'm traveling a lot, but at the same time, I love everything I get to do. And I definitely mean that when I say I get to do it, not I have to do it. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference there. And when you wake up every day, getting to do something that you love, I tell my wife all the time, I'm just so thankful that the, I've really never worked a day in my life in that respect because I've always been in jobs that I really liked a lot. And this is definitely the most purposeful work I've ever done in my life. And that's probably, you know, leads into me being the most thankful and most gratifying position of my journey and the work that I get to do. So for people who don't know you, tell a little bit about professional life. We're going to get your testimony second, so we won't do that first. But ESPN Life and then all the cool things you've been doing and and even like up to date, talk about what a typical week or season's looking like because you're cranking out podcasts like nonstop. I don't think Andy Downs is saying slow down, Jason, somewhere. So give us us a little ESPN, post-ESPN, current life for us. Yeah, ESPN happened 22 years ago in July of 2000. Uh, Before that, I was a local radio producer at a college for three years at a news talk station in Albany, New York, which I loved working there. It was in my backyard in my hometown and then moved to ESPN. And that was the dream job. And I got to do so many cool things working on uh, radio and television and even digital and social media and working on amazing shows and with incredible, incredibly talented people and people that People would watch on ESPN like Mike and Mike in the morning and Dan Patrick and Stuart Scott and working on shows like Monday Night Football and NFL Live and Sports Center and the aforementioned Mike and Mike and just so many amazing opportunities and blessings and got to meet incredible people that are still friends to this day. Uh, 17 years at the Worldwide Leader and just an incredible opportunity that led to me thinking about maybe it's time for a transition, maybe. God is calling me to something different and I don't want to say greater because in terms of the impact, maybe it's not as greater, but more purposeful work. And five years ago, uh, I said goodbye to ESPN and walked into this new space with Sports Spectrum. And now I get to work on a media brand and a media company that's also a ministry where we get to talk about Jesus 
and bring Christ into the sports conversation. So I still get to do sports. I still get to work on all sorts of different avenues of content creation, uh, particularly the podcast that you mentioned. But I also get to, you know, really dive, dive deeper into a lot of these people, these athletes and coaches and their journeys with, with the Lord. And that's not being discussed too many other places. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm thankful with the, the connections that I had both at ESPN and now even still at Sports Spectrum that we're able to get some people that a lot of people know when that helps with, you know, an audience that would want to continue to check us out and listen to our show. So I love what I get to do. Um, we're doing three episodes a week, at least, uh, of the podcast. Uh, what that looks like, you asked me, Jeff, it varies every day. You know, I think, you know, when you work at a small media ministry like Sports Spectrum, you know, you're doing five different jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a host, but I'm also the producer and I'm also the guest booker. And I'm also, you know, cutting social media clips and I'm doing all the research. So I'm doing this as a sort of a one man band, although we have a team of four or five. They work on other projects. I particularly lead and work on the podcast. So I'm doing four or five different jobs, which I really enjoy. But every day is something different. You know, yesterday I spent a good amount of my time cutting clips and getting some social media clips and, and scheduling shows for the future. Tomorrow I'll spend more time probably uh, booking guests and thinking about, okay, what's the schedule going to look like over the next few months for the podcast uh, today? Uh, I, I'm recording two or three interviews for the show, and it varies each day, but I feel like I got a good rhythm to what we're doing. I'm also leading a team as director of media, so I have to be thinking about my team all the time and the work that they're doing and making sure that they're in a good place and challenging them and looking at stories to cover. So it's a, it's a lot. And then you mentioned all the traveling and fun stuff. That's all on the side. On a, you know, Occasionally, I get to go to different places and speak and travel and that's wonderful as well but the day-to-day -day sort of trench work is where i really uh, you know find myself embedded in and i really enjoy that as well i really do it's a lot of fun so let, let me break your guests for the podcast because i listen to the sports spectrum podcast pretty regularly let's break them down into three categories you've got kind of the big name anybody and everybody knows them in a sports world guests yeah. you've got the much lesser you know it might be a d2 softball coach or something and then you've got like you know two that stand out to me when you had bart millard on there from mercy me and then you had bear reinhardt uh from need to breathe balance out those three i mean i would think in some ways you, you've done a lot of the big time stuff in your days at espn there's got to be something kind of fun about talking to bear or bart about sports ties or kind of a you're giving a voice to someone on a national scale and a much smaller level who maybe doesn't have that audience that you're given to them balance out those three different types of guests. Well, I think the, the core show that we do should have your athletes and your coaches, hopefully that you've heard of from the pro level, from the college level that can share their testimony and their faith. And that's where we started. And that's where we'll continue to always aim to be, you know, Ben Roethlisberger was on the mm -hmm. show a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's, where we want our show to, I think, live in and be centered around is having a Ben Roethlisberger on to tell us about his Jesus story that he doesn't get to tell anywhere else. But then there's these, for lack of a better word, lesser known coaches and athletes that are doing really good things in the community with their programs, and, and they love Jesus. And so we want to highlight them as well. I actually enjoy talking to those people quite a bit because they're not as well known. So let's Let's have our platform be a place where we can highlight some people 
that are doing incredible things in the sports space and leading with Christ at the center. So I love talking to, to some of the lesser known people as well. And a lot of times those come as suggestions to us from other people. It's hard to find every single guest on your own and, and sit there and just Google search for hours trying to find different people. So we rely on the different listeners that we have and the different you know fans, if you will, that we have to share with us stories of people that we should be following or checking out. And we've done tons of stories that way. The third bucket that you mentioned I would even include authors and pastors mm -hmm. into that bucket as Definitely. well. Those are some of my favorite interviews because they're just people I'm interested in talking to. So it takes the sports out. We always find a sports commonality somewhere. They have to have some interest or level of sports in their lives for me to say yes to have them on our show because it's a sports show. But they're just people that I admire. Like Bart Millard is the lead singer of Mercy Me and a guy that I've met numerous times on occasion. But He's also a big sports fan, but I'm just fascinated by his his role as a lead singer in a band, putting out music. And so I love just talking to Bart Millard. And he's got an amazing story for people that don't know with his dad and, and the I Can Only Imagine song that he wrote and just an incredible testimony. So he's just an interesting guy to me that I would want to have on. I mean, we had Lecrae on, I would say a year and a half ago, the rapper. And Lecrae has a great connection to sports. He knows a lot of athletes, and he played a little bit in high school. But he's just an interesting guy that I'm curious to talk to. Sure. And I guess every guest is somebody that I'm curious and want to talk to. But when they're not sports-centric as an athlete or a coach or a broadcaster, it's just in somebody that I'm interested in having on. And sometimes that gets pitched to me from a public relations firm or something, and sometimes I just seek out and ask if they're available. Okay. But quite often, those are my favorite interviews because sure. they gravitate away a little bit from sports. And, you know, I've been living in this sports space for 22 years and I love sports. I'm not trying to, you know, get out of that space. But to me, when I can talk to somebody, even an actor or a musician or somebody like that, I'm just fascinated by work that they get to do yeah. and kind of have have it be a little bit of a left turn on the podcast for people that are so used to listening to just quarterbacks and and coaches. Yeah. And what you're talking about, two interviews you did that really stand out to me as you were talking was you had John Mosley, who I thought came off so great on Last yeah. Chance You. And I thought, okay, this is not Netflix or whatever putting this out. This is Jason who's going to get to the heart of the matter. And he seemed very consistent with what he said related to Netflix and Last Chance You in line with what you got. And then also, you know, one of the things that's neat about people you get outside of sports is like you had Kyle Eidelman. We've been using his book uh, one at a time, which is kind of, I think, how your interview is based on that book a little bit. But I heard him talk about sports in a way I'd never yes. heard him talk about sports. So I think that part of what you get to do mm -hmm. is pretty cool. You're talking to people not in the sports world, but because you're bringing sports into it, they're not talking about that somewhere else. Well, Kyle Eidelman is a great example of a person that I'm just interested in talking to, right? Like somebody had sent me information about his new book, and I'm like, Hey, I did Kyle Eidelman's um, study, uh, you know, group study with our small group years ago when he put out the book, Not a Fan. Not a fan. And I was like, that's an interesting guy to me. But he also pastors one of the largest churches mm -hmm. in the country and has an influence and, and, you know, a reach that a lot of athletes have in a much different space. And then he also pastors a lot of athletes and people that come to his church. So I thought, this will be a really good conversation, especially knowing that our our fan base, our, our listenership, 
are people who love sports and love Jesus. So mm-hmm. most of them, not all of them, but most of them fall into that group. So that means they go to church and they have a pastor. That means they're reading books. That means that they're doing studies. That probably means they listen on some level to worship music or Christian music. So all of these kind of categories, if you will, all kind of fall into what I like to call as the Venn diagram of what our audience is, which is sports fans who love Jesus. And sometimes it's a little more Jesus. Sometimes it's a little more sports. Kyle Eidelman is the perfect example of someone who I, I love talking to. We had him on right when the new year you know, came about in 2022. And he was the perfect guest to kind of kick us off for yeah. a new year and give us some encouragement and some hope and how we can be better people you know, this year. So I love talking to Kyle. I think I know you well enough to know, Jason. I don't know if you've dug in that book at all, but that book is really connecting with people within my ministry, the gathering of the Miami Valley. And I just, I think I know what, what you're about with your church, just ministry in general ministry with, yeah, there it is. There's the book. Yeah. Um, yep. Unfortunately, people won't be able to see it, but well. I saw it. Um, but thinking about what you do with sports <laughs> spectrum and beyond, I mean, there's so many great things in there and just, he's so vulnerable and honest in there. And I think that carries over to one of the things I appreciate when you do your little intro before each podcast and you kind of talk about where it's going, maybe a point that, you know, maybe got emotional or it was just real. And you always talk about another good conversation or something to that effect. I'm always wanting to text you, bust your chops and say, okay, that conversation wasn't so good, but it never fails. Mm -hmm. It's always good. Your interest you kind of trust in where it needs to go, which is something I try to do here. Say, Holy Spirit, take this where you want to take it. I've never been disappointed by 30, 45 minutes, an hour of one of your conversations. And let's transition that. Oh, 100%. Let's transition yeah. that because I think the timing is good. And then we'll get to your testimony. Your book, The Uniform of Leadership. A number of my guys have read that book. And somebody actually texted me the other day about it, unrelated to you, and just said, hey, I still want to get that book. I can't wait to read Jason Romano's book and Hmm. two stories in there that I think you have to tell and give a little background of the book is the Drew Brees day when he was there. And then I'm blanking. I didn't look it up, but uh, the woman at the cafeteria, uh, Tammy, Tammy, talk about Drew Brees and Tammy, and then share a little bit more about uniform leadership. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with the book first. The idea of the book is leadership lessons that I learned during my 17 years at ESPN. And it's, it's my second book, and it's completely different and deviates completely from where we were with the first book, which was a book that was very raw and vulnerable on forgiveness. This is a little less, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's vulnerable and it's, it's raw, but it's a different kind of vulnerable and raw because it's leadership more than it is like my personal story of forgiving my alcoholic father, right? And so when people started asking me, you know, what kind of book would you write for a second book? And I said, well... I have a lot of stories from my time at ESPN. Maybe that's the story to write. And then as I started diving into it, I realized there are a ton of leadership lessons, biblical lessons that I learned working at the Worldwide Leader in Sports. And maybe we can share these because these are my stories. There are definitely people that you've heard of, like Drew Brees, and there's people that you haven't heard of, like Tammy, but they're my stories. And hopefully in writing it, It can be my story that can relate to what your space of influence is and then help you on your journey, whether you're a young person that's a teenager or, you know, an athlete in college or a coach or just a person who works for, you know, a regular job every day at a bank or, you know, a supermarket that's just trying to be better people and better leaders. This is the kind of book. And if you're a sports fan, you're going to love it because that's 
what this is. It's tons of sports stories and people that I spent time with at ESPN. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Drew Brees. I'll tell you that his story quickly, and then I'll tell you Tammy's story because Tammy is my favorite story to tell in the whole book. Drew Brees is obviously Drew Brees. There's not a lot of explanation on who he is, but the fact that he came to ESPN for a day and I got to spend that day with him, kind of producing his day on a bunch of different ESPN shows. And Drew had just come off winning the Super Bowl. He was the Super Bowl MVP that year. And he was at the top of the top in the NFL world. And he's coming to ESPN and he's promoting his book and he's talking about his new book. And he made a point to carve out two hours of the day to work out in the middle of the day. And I thought that's just so fascinating to me because most guests that come to ESPN don't work out in the middle of their promotion of whatever they're, you know, doing interviews of. They just do the interviews, spend the day, and then they leave. And then they probably go work out after, or maybe they work out before. Drew was very regimented in his time, uh, in his schedule and said, listen, I need the middle of the day for two hours. You got it, Drew. And he proceeded to go work out in the gym that we have, but then go outside for about 45 minutes. And I had to find a place for him to throw a football. And he and his agent basically ran through quarterback drills for 30 to 35 minutes right in front of the cafeteria at ESPN outside for everybody to watch and see if they chose to do. And I was fascinated because Drew didn't come with a big entourage. He literally just brought him and his agent, Chris. And Drew and Chris were... Uh, they're they're really good friends, but they were on point. And Drew ran through these drills. And I mean, he was running through drills like it was training camp or a practice getting ready for a big game. And this was early July. The season hadn't even started yet. And I was fascinated watching him make these throws. And at the end, I said to Drew, I'm like, why do you do this? And he kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? Why do I do it? I said, well, I know why you do it, but why do you do this? Why did you make a point today? in the middle of July or early July to throw footballs around and get a workout in, you just won the Super Bowl. Like, take a day off. It's okay. And he looked at me and he said, Jason, two things. Number one, the NFL stands for not for long. You know, there are three or four quarterbacks behind me that are trying to take my job. And so I need to be ready. And so when training camp starts, I need to be ready to go on top of my game and not trying to, you know, spend the next three or four weeks to get ready for the season. I want to be ready for the season when I show up in late July, early August. So I thought that's an amazing thing to hear. The second thing was, and Drew talked about this with his faith. He said, this is how I honor God. He's like, I want to be great at what I do. And I honor God by, by doing the best that I can to honor him. And then to be as great a teammate as I can be to help others. You know, my team expects me to be ready. And so I want to do this honoring God, like it says in Colossians, to do everything that I do unto the Lord and not for man. When he said that, I said, oh, that makes complete sense. But then when I was writing the book, I remembered what, an, what a great leadership lesson from one of the top players in, in football who didn't need to work out that day. He's working out and he's doing it for God and he's trying to be a great teammate by serving in the sense of, by the way, that he carries himself in the way that he works. I'm in. Like, that's a great leadership lesson that I can take with me into everything that I do. You know, and it's also, what are you doing when nobody's looking? Because even though ESPN was watching. You know, if you pause on that for just one second, you know what's so interesting about what you're saying? I've loved that in the book. I've heard you talk about it before. 
And all we need to do is look at current times to see where that's true. Tyreek Hill gets traded to the Dolphins. Patrick Mahomes, clearly most everybody's saying is the top quarterback, one of the top three or four quarterbacks. Tyreek Hill gets traded, and I saw on ESPN the other day they were talking about the top teams in the AFC West. They had Kansas City at number four. And I'm like, wow. Now, who knows? The season's still got to play out, and we're a long way from the start of the season. But if the Drew Brees story doesn't speak right now thinking of the Kansas City Chiefs, like they've already got Mahomes and the Chiefs, the fourth best team in last place in the division. I promise you that's a mistake, number one, because you have Patrick Mahomes and other teams don't. But what is Mahomes doing right now? You know, and Russell Wilson's really good. He does share a lot of his practices and, and workouts on social media, but he's another guy with Denver who's constantly doing things right now to get ready for July. And so when I saw Drew Brees do that, I thought, yeah, this is an amazing example of a person who loves the Lord, who wants to do right by by his faith, but also do right by his teammates and by serving as being the example and not just showing up because he's the Super Bowl MVP. So a great story there. I'll share Tammy's story really quick here. Best story Uh, in the book. Tammy is... someone who you wouldn't know unless you happen to come through ESPN during the 20 years that I worked there. Tammy was the cafeteria cashier. And so you would come through the cafeteria, you'd go get your lunch, you bring it to the cashier and Tammy would be the one to ring you out and cash you, you know, cash you out, take your money and, and uh, have you go on the rest of your day to enjoy your lunch. But Tammy was so amazing as a leader. Here's why. Number one, she remembered every single person's name. There's about 3,000 people that come through ESPN every single day, and Tammy knew every single person's name. It was impressive. It really was. And at first I thought, how does Tammy know me? I think I met her twice, and she had my name memorized. This was early on in my journey. And I thought, Tammy, you know who I am? She's like, of course, Jason. And then I just thought that was me. Okay, she knows me. But I've watched all of these people come through, and she'd be like, hi, Bill. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mary. She knew everybody. And I thought, what an amazing Mm -hmm. person to make this effort to remember names of people. Because when you call people by their name, it makes them feel like you know who they are. Amen. And I've been there where I don't have a good memory on certain names. So I'll call you buddy or dude or guy. What's up, buddy? I'll still say that to my friends too, but that's usually an out for me if I don't remember your name. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And then hopefully I start to remember it as we talk. But that, that wasn't Tammy. Tammy never called you by anything but your name. But Tammy was also the most friendly person that you would come in contact with every single day at ESPN. And she was doing that because she loved the Lord as well. And people would come through and she's like, I got to be an example of this faith that I say I believe in to each and every person that comes through. And she did that. She made everybody feel like a million dollars for 15 to 30 seconds every day. And that's all people really needed to feel that day at that moment was just to know that somebody cared about them, somebody knew their name, and somebody gave them the extra few seconds of attention that a lot of times we all want and crave, you know, Uh, affirmation. Tammy was just the best at that. And that was a great leadership lesson to me because there's a lot more Tammies in our lives than there are Drew Breeses, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. And so what are the people like Tammy's thinking every single day when they go to work? I don't really have an influence and I'm not really, I'm not the boss. I'm not the president. I'm not the manager. Neither was Tammy. And yet she was probably the best leader that I saw in 20 years at ESPN. Well, to that point, Jason, so you also talk about say Emmett Smith, you talk about Hulk Hogan in that book. 
I would imagine when people talk to you about this book, whether it's a conversation, an interview, whatever it would be, Tammy has to be talked about more than anybody. Isn't that an easy guess? Every single time I hear feedback from people, they say that's their favorite chapter. Yeah. And it's one thing to say Tony Dungy, Drew Brees, Hulk Hogan, Will Ferrell, you know, all of these names, Emmett Smith. But everybody relates with Tammy mm -hmm. because everybody has a Tammy in their life. Not everybody has encounters with celebrities on a daily basis like I was thankful to do for a long time. But everybody knows a Tammy. And probably in, in a lot of ways, everybody can be a Tammy. Yep. Right. They may not have millions of followers on social media or be playing in front of thousands of people and in stadiums every week if you're an athlete. But they all go somewhere and impact someone. And so it's being focused on just that one or two people or 10 people or 20 people that you impact every day and love and lead like Tammy. If you do that, you're going to be a better person. I yeah. promise you. You know, something that's interesting about what you said, I've said often, you know, I grew up doing Young Life for over 20 years. And one of the yeah. things I saw doing Young Life was saying a person's name. You know, we did our homework a lot. We try to find out people's names before we actually met them. People love hearing their name. And I've said that over and over. It's your favorite word. Somebody corrected me last week, though. This is interesting. And they said, it depends on the context. If someone only heard their name from like a parent or someone and it was always demeaning, then maybe it's mm. not their favorite word. But to your point with Tammy, she's redeeming it then if someone heard their name in a negative way. So there's something about our names we love most nine times out of 10, most of the time to hear. And I just think we can't gain enough from what you've shared in that book about Tammy and, and, and apply that. Like you said, we're much more relatable to her than Hulk Hogan, Drew Brees, Tony Dungy, Shaq, Will Ferrell, whoever. So Jason, let's transition to your testimony. Give us the three minute Jason Romano story. Grew up going to church, but not knowing who Jesus was. The church I went to was a Catholic church in Ravina, New York. And I went because my grandfather took me and he promised me that he would take me bowling and give me quarters to play video games after. <laughs> so we went and we did that and it was fine. You know, there was, we didn't hate church. It was just boring. It wasn't interesting. Uh, I didn't go to Sunday school or anything like that for the most part. And uh, I always thought that was sort of an obligation if I did versus, uh, you know, on my own doing. As I got older, uh, I drifted away from even going to church and I completely became focused on my career, on my, on my journey uh, of broadcasting, and certainly on me. I was focused on me and trying to achieve whatever I wanted and have the life that I always envisioned, right? So who am I going to marry? Could I be a dad someday? Uh, can I get this dream job potentially working in broadcasting? And so I was so focused on that, even through college and graduating and coming out of college, that uh, there was no God other than maybe sports in my life. It's not that I didn't believe. I just didn't care. Uh, you know, I had nobody in my life to disciple or to show me Jesus at all until 1999, when my brother, Chris, my younger brother, he's two and a half years younger than me. He became the first in our family to say yes and begin a walk with the Lord. And that was really weird and awkward and a little bit creepy at first to see that because he was going down a really bad path and the Lord radically saved him and transformed his life. But when you have that happen to a person, A, is it real? I think that's the first question we always ask. But B, is that for just him or is that for everybody? And I thought it was probably just for him. If it makes him a better person, great. You do you, as the world says. But I wasn't really interested in being 
a religious person like my brother was at first. That's how I viewed him. But a couple of years later, uh, 2001, you know, some circumstances in my family, my wife and I were trying to have kids. And I think I was looking for some sort of genie in a bottle answer to a lot of things in my personal life. But I also was watching my brother live out his faith in such a, an amazing way, the way he loved his wife, the way he loved his newborn son, Sam. And I thought, I want to be like that person. I want to love my wife like my brother loves his wife. I want to love my daughter, who I eventually would have, the way my, my brother loves his kids. And so that was attractive to me. And one day in Mother's Day of 2001, uh, so it's coming up on 21 years, uh, Mother's Day 01, my brother invites me to church with him. And he says, Jay, come, come and hang out and see what we're all about. And then we'll go back to the house and hang out with mom. I said, okay. And uh, when I walked in that church, it was a completely different experience from the Catholic church I grew up in. It was a Pentecostal, you know, charismatic church with dancing and singing and worship music and a 30 minute sermon and people clapping and, you know, loud, loud voices, if you will, loud voices. And it was just a different experience. But people had joy when I walked in that church, a joy that I didn't understand and was very foreign. Uh, and I wasn't too fond of the worship music, but I was very fond of the message that day. And I told my brother that I said, I don't know what the pastor exactly was preaching on, but that was really interesting what he had to say. So my brother invites me to the back bedroom of his house. He sits me on the, mm. the ledge of his bed and he says, Jason, I'd love to tell you about Jesus and this faith I've had for the last few years. And I don't know what it was, Jeff, other than that my heart was open to hear what he had to say that day. Uh, and I, I listened to him. He shared with me the gospel. He shared with me salvation and repentance and the cross. And these are words that I really didn't gravitate towards or understand completely when he was sharing them. But I knew it was right to say yes and start. And I tell people this all the time. You don't have to have it figured out to begin a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Just say yes and let the Lord move in the way that he can move. And you just keep taking steps forward, baby steps forward towards him. And that's what happened to me. I said yes. I don't know if I died that night that I would have been in heaven. I hope I would have. But I don't know that because I don't know if I fully grasped what I said yes to. But that began the journey 21 years ago. And the sanctification process, as the Bible talks about, has been ongoing for 21 years. But a lot of the times when my friends or others ask me about, you know, why did you write this book? Or why are you working at Sports Spectrum? Or why are you an elder at your church? Or, you know, raising my, my daughter to love the Lord. I said, it's all my brother's fault. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It's his fault and in, a, in a good way. Because he had enough wherewithal to sense the Spirit nudging him to tell me about the Lord. And if he didn't, I, I hope I would have heard it from someone else. But because I loved him so much, and he's my best friend still to this day, uh, I listened to him with, with ears that were open to hear. And I said yes, and 21 years later, here we are. See, I think there's three things to me that really stand out about your testimony there. I've heard it before, but some things just jumped out a little bit different to me today. I think one, I like what you're saying about Chris saying, is this just for him or does this go beyond him? So clearly it went beyond, went beyond him and it was for you and it's clearly a gift for everybody. I think the idea that you saw something in worship on that Sunday that you didn't have that you wanted, 
Uh, that's come up in many of conversations I've had with people. That's a huge part of my wife's story is being at a worship service and seeing a woman up front leading worship that she's like, that woman has something by her countenance that I need that I don't have. And the third yes. part is, and I was blessed to have this with my one sister, and I've seen it with my kids with each other, when a sibling can be a part of leading one of their siblings to Christ. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so Jason, that's just, you know, we all have a story. It's an eternal thing, Jeff. It's, 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 it's something that's going to have ripple effects for who knows how, how long my, my daughter doesn't know Jesus be, unless Chris tells me, yeah. my wife doesn't follow the Lord unless Chris tells me. And I didn't necessarily lead my wife, but I think I was an example to her. And eventually she came to, to faith in the Lord. Who knows what that ripple effect will have with my daughter, with her kids, and hopefully her kids. You just don't know. And it all was because that one day that my brother said, I got to tell my brother Jason about Jesus. I know you get a chance to preach some at your church, and obviously you speak other places. I think we've bought into this lie that it's a private thing, and it's not. Our faith is not private. It's personal. That's the word that's appropriate, but it's not private. And and you and those around you, your family, you've, you've been such a great example of that. So... Uh, love hearing it again. That your story needs told more and more and more. So let's take a d- detour. I do this thing <laughs> called the Rapid Five. So there are five kind of oh, silly, kind of dive in kind of questions. You got them ahead of time. So Jason, yeah. what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Favorite cereal as a kid was honeycomb. Loved the honeycomb cereal, uh, and I used to eat cereal in Tupperware bowls. Uh, I mean, I, I I go like a half a gallon of milk. In one bowl of cereal, and it wasn't a bowl of cereal. My mom would look at me. I was 150 pounds soaking wet and say, how are you eating all that and still being 150 pounds? And I went to college, and those pounds gained pretty quickly. But <laughs> when I was in high school and even you know grade school, it was honeycomb cereal and a giant Tupperware bowl with some milk. I hate to confess about that Tupperware bowl. Experience I still have in my gut definitely shows it. So what you is your – funny? Real quick, real yeah, quick. Yeah, please. I will occasionally grab a, I'll have a bowl of cereal maybe once a week now, but I'll usually end up having two bowls yeah. in, a, in a normal bowl. And my wife will be like, why don't you just have it in a bigger bowl? And I'm like, well, that's what I used to do when I was a kid, but it makes me feel better that I'm eating it out of a smaller bowl now. Yeah. Are you still doing honeycombs or what are you doing now? Uh, honeycombs is okay. Uh, it's not my favorite now, maybe just because I loved it so much as a kid, but I love golden grams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big honey bunches of oats cereal guy uh my favorite cereal is um and i don't even know what the name of it is but it's like these oatmeal squares oh yeah that i think maybe that's what they're called called oatmeal squares it is yeah yeah oatmeal squares and throw some blueberries on top man you got you got yourself a pretty good meal you sound way healthier now with all that answer i'll tell you you know the one i love that i haven't it's really expensive i haven't seen it much lately i went to the grocery just to find it the other day and they didn't have it was smart start and uh, I did do some. I don't some, even know what that is. Yeah, it's just a bunch of, you know, granola E type. It's really good. Um, okay. And I did the mom's best ripoff golden grams that I had last night. I tried to do a bowl of cereal two or three times a week. So I had my golden gram type of flavor last night. So mm-hmm. um, golden grams is underrated, man. When you throw that in there, it's. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really good. <laughs> well, because I think we were equated to graham crackers and they're, they're vastly better than graham crackers. Yes. Yeah, and throw some milk in there, and we're yeah. off to the races. We are speaking some truth. There's truth and grace in these questions right here, Jason. So I love it. I what love is it. your favorite book you most want to give to others? And we'll say not written by Jason Romano. No, I wouldn't even say mine anyways. Um, my favorite book is uh, Lead for God's Sake by Todd Gongwar. Uh, this is a newer book. Obviously, the Bible 
is is sort of the Christian answer you're supposed to give. And I, of course, I would say the Bible, but lead for God's sake was what got me into leadership to being even interested in in that world and even understanding that that was a world. 12, 13 years ago, I probably read this book. I read it in three hours on an airplane flight from Dallas to Hartford, Connecticut, coming back from the Super Bowl, covering the Super Bowl for ESPN. It was Super Bowl 45 when the Packers and the Steelers played. And I read this book on the plane and I, I was so taken away by it in a, such a good way. I was blown away by it is probably the better way to say it because there were so many amazing lessons in this book. Mm-hmm. It was written as a fable about a coach who was so caught up in his own world that uh, he ends up being humbled in a big way, but understanding that the greatest leadership comes by doing it for a greater purpose and by serving others. And Todd, uh, it's funny, he hasn't written another book since. I've had Todd on our podcast yeah. and I said, dude, why aren't you writing more books? It's my favorite book of all time. And he said, Jason, and God just hasn't called me to write yet. But it's the book I've recommended most to, to almost anybody that I run into. It's read beautifully because it's a fable there's a there's a lot of biblical principles in it, but it's not a super faith driven book, even though the title kind of will disguise that with lead for God's sake. But anybody can read it. I've given this book to people who aren't Christians and people who are maybe nominal in their faith or don't even have a faith and they come away blown away by it. So it's and it's definitely a lot of good seeds that are planted in that book that can introduce people to Christ as well. So it's one of my favorites. I love recommending it i've given it out i mean the the publishers and todd have been grateful to they'll send me 10 or 20 books sometimes on occasion and i'll just give them to people yeah because i know how important that book's been to me and i know it can help others you know i love sometimes people write a book and it kind of catches and you just build the whole rest of your life around that book just because it's catchy and a cliche and easy to turn around but he's written a book that i think god just given him such a runway he came and spoke for us several several years ago i talked to him a while back and I just love how he's leaned into it because, like you said, that book is, has done so much. I mean, the janitor in the story is clearly huge in that book, and there's, yep. a, there's still a runway with that book, to say the least. So, Absolutely. Here's a uh, northeast part of the country question for you. So the team, <laughs> team Romano is out vacationing, and you're hitting the, hitting the beach. You're heading south, and you're going to the Midwest, or, which there's no beach. Let me be clear in the Midwest. But you're, <laughs> you're on a long drive. And you guys got to stop sooner than you thought, 10 minutes before the stop to hit the bathroom or something like that. And you see these three restaurants on a sign, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out Burger. Where do you go? Uh, for two reasons, but I go to Chick-fil-A. Um, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I would have chose probably McDonald's. I'd never heard of In-N-Out uh, until about 10 years ago, maybe even less than that. Uh, when I went out to the California area and somebody introduced me to In-N-Out and I said, oh, this is uh, this is this is a thing out here. Uh, but Chick-fil-A, obviously Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out as well, I should say, are led by people who love Jesus. And that's always, you know, interesting to me. But Chick-fil-A has their food's the best out of those three, in my opinion. And they have a little bit of a, a variety and they have the best service, customer service. Mm-hmm. They're always looking out for the customer. And that's big to me. Yeah. So I'm Chick-fil-A, team Chick-fil-A every single time. You know, it's funny. You don't sound like you're responding this way, but I almost feel like some people, when I ask the question about the book and about the restaurants, they're going to be more offensive to God if they don't say Chick-fil-A versus <laughs> they don't say the Bible for the book, which is kind of funny to me. That <laughs> I would have said in an hour or McDonald's if that was my number one. It's just not. Yeah. No, I mean, you didn't I grew up on McDonald's. The only thing in the town that I lived in was a McDonald's, so I ate there at yeah. least three times a week for probably 10 years. So. Yeah. 
I've had my share of McDonald's and they've had my share of money. It's just, sure. I mean, it's not my favorite place anymore. No, you seem very legit, but some people you can almost, oh, some, I might get struck down if I say, don't say Chick-fil-A. The Bible, I can not say that, but Chick-fil-A, I better say that as an answer. So. No, I did not say that because I'm a Christian, <laughs> although I love that they lead, like I said, with, uh, with Christian values. But I, I, I mean, they, their food is great and their customer service is great. 100%. So put those two together and I'm in. Yeah. So uh, what movie, when you stumble upon it, didn't know it was on, maybe it's 20 minutes in, what movie will you stick with every time? <laughs> so there's a bunch. I mean, my, my wife will tell you, I know, I know the lines to so many different movies. Uh, I'll stick with my, my traditional all-time favorite movie, which is The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars. The second Star Wars movie, episode five, to me is my favorite movie of all time. And I think partially because it brings me back to my childhood it brings me back to one of the first movies I ever saw in the theater that I remember seeing at seven years old. But it's also really good, well done, and first of all, it holds up 42 years later when it came out. But it's also a rare type of movie that doesn't end on a happy ending. Mm. The, the whole movie is just fighting through adversity and battling, and then there's these lessons that you know Luke learns from Yoda about trying to be mindful and be patient and Luke in his youth is like no I got to try and fix it myself there's there's actually a lot of life lessons if you watch this movie from the perspective yeah. of what the movie is really about and not just entertained by a Star Wars movie and then Darth Vader you know as the villain and trying to um, just find it when you find out the whole story of Vader just find out why he has so much uh, you know a power struggle with trying to own everything and rule everything and um, and then, like I said, there's really nothing good that comes out of it. You're just surviving throughout the entire movie. And sometimes that's life. People are just trying to survive through each, you know, day that comes to them. And hopefully on the other end, they, they make it out. All right. Sure. But, uh, I love that movie. Uh, it's just, there's so many things I could say about star Wars, but about empire strikes back, particularly that if it's on, it was on yesterday for a brief moment. I had to sit there and watch for 10, 15 yeah. minutes and, you know, if I have a time or a day where I'm literally doing nothing and I have nothing and there's nothing on, that's the movie I'm putting on. Slide it in. Well, who's your first celebrity crush? Celebrity crush. This was a good one. I saw that you, you were going to ask this and I thought, all right, who is the first person I really remember having a true crush on? I think it was when I was probably 13, 12 or 13, and I had a crush on Alyssa Milano, <laughs> the actress. She was in Who's the Boss with Tony Danza. She's around my age. I think she might be a year older. And you're always gravitating towards people that are kind of your age as well um, when you're a 13-year-old kid. And she was 13 or 14, and I had a big crush on Samantha Maselli on Who's the Boss, for sure. I also remember having a big crush on Tiffany, who was a musician. It was, there was yeah. Debbie Gibson, and there was Tiffany in the late 80s. And, you know, some people were Debbie Gibson people, some were Tiffany. I gravitated towards the redhead, loved Tiffany, and uh, had a big crush on her, too. I had a big crush on Debbie Gibson. I'm not denying it. I saw her in concert open up a number of years ago for NSYNC at uh, the Columbus Crew Stadium at the time. And okay. uh, I'll tell you, I'll text you this later, Jason. If you haven't seen it, back in the day, I had an Alyssa Milano poster in my bedroom. She had the hockey jersey with a hockey stick. And she had mm. a hole in her jeans in her, by her knee. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this like, am I flirting now with danger whole, here? The whole jeans are, are like, everybody's wearing them, right? <laughs> yeah. But I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm getting to see Alyssa Milano's kneecap. 
in this post. I got one more celebrity crush for you, um, Miss Elizabeth. Who is Randy Macho Man Savage? Sadly passed uh, away. Manager. Yeah. This was 86, 87. I would have been 12, 13 years old. Miss Elizabeth's poster was on my wall as a kid as well. Well, not as a kid, as a teenager. Yeah. And uh, let's just say I had a lot of, uh, of uh, let's just say I had a crush on her, a big time crush on her. That's all I'll say. Uh, we got to go here in just a minute, but should we think together outside of here about a podcast? It would be all about the various posters people had on their rooms as kids. That would be a podcast to listen to, I think. And make sure it's the eight, 70s, 80s, or 90s, because if it's anything now, I'm, I'm out of the loop. Yeah, that's but true. But 70s, 80s, 90s, I'm in. I would love to do a show like that, and uh, let's talk about that. I had the Rock and Roll Express poster in my room as well, so that's – I don't know what that says about me, but anyway. As you were a big fan of wrestling. That's true. Well, hey, last thing, and I know you got to go. Tell us about, so your other book, Live to Forgive, is a very difficult, challenging, hard book. You, very much like Bart, with, um, I can only imagine, uh, some real honest looks at your relationship with your dad and some hard stuff, some pain, whatnot that way. So we're now in 2022. Based on that book written several years ago, where we are in culture, whether people listening to this would have a great relationship with their dad or a very difficult one, what would you say to dads as it relates to sons? And what would you say to sons as it related to dads, good, bad, or otherwise? I would say to dads, you're not going to be perfect. My dad was anything but perfect. But, you know, go easy on yourself because nobody's perfect. And, the best thing you can do for your sons or even your daughters, because I don't have a son, but I have a daughter, is to love them by showing them T-I-M-E. And I know we've heard this before, but just spend time with your kids. Things like that uh, were what I missed, I think, the most with my own dad. He tried to be around us and spend time with us. And there were memories that I have from that. Not all of them were good, but there were a lot of missed opportunities my dad had because of choosing alcohol. And he didn't get to spend time with me especially as I got older into my teen years and 20s and 30s, I never spent much time with my dad. Uh, He missed all of those big moments in my life, and I would have liked to have that. So my encouragement to fathers is spend time with your kids. Just be there for them. Make sure they know that you're a person that cares about them, that loves them, and that would do anything for them in the same way God loves us, right? We're, We're representatives and sort of reflections of God's love for us on our own kids. And so be there for them no matter what. Go easy on them. Uh, don't put too much pressure on your children because that can lead to um, rebellion for sure. And then for kids and, and for sons, I think, you know, remember that your dad's not perfect too. And uh, But remember if they're spending time with you that they really do love and care for you. And there'll be a time when I think you recognize that, especially if you're a younger kid. There'll be a time when you look at your dad and maybe you start to look at him a little bit differently as you get older and you understand that he was a flawed human just trying to do his best just like you're a flawed human trying to do your mm-hmm. best. And uh, I think if we live in that way, we'll have a lot of empathy towards each other that we need and a lot mm-hmm. of grace and a lot of forgiveness. And that, that aspect really helps, I think, lead to a much healthier relationship that I think every kid and every dad deserves to have. It doesn't always work out that way, but sure. I would like to see that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I have such a passion for fathers and sons just having a relationship that can be productive and helpful and, and fruitful and, you know, I never had that, so I make a point to try and have that as best as possible with my kid. Amen. Jason, where can people find out more about you? If they want to check out, obviously, Amazon for books, Jason Romano, yeah. it's obviously Live to Forgive and the Uniform of Leadership. Where else can they get connected with you? 
best place is probably my website, jasonromano.com. But definitely check out Sports Spectrum as well and our social media pages and the podcast. That's a way to connect with me, but really to hear stories that are more important than just mine. And, and uh, I think those are really great places to connect and certainly social media. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, no doubt, as I've said several times before, in person, on Zoom, if we were in the same town, we would be doing a lot of cool ministry and life together. So much, much respect appreciation and affirmation for who you are and what God's doing in your life. And thanks for blessing me and whoever happens to listen to this as well, Jason. Yeah, Jeff. Thanks buddy. I'm always, uh, always look forward to hearing from you. Great to connect with you and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Alrighty. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at the gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.